Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, welcome on to a man who is probably a lot happier about <laughs> his favorite basketball team than he was a, a year ago. One Michael Schwartz of ESPN to talk about the Phoenix Suns. How you doing, man? Or, or two years ago, three years ago, <laughs> ten years ago, all the years ago. I'm doing great, Nate. Yeah, that sounds uh, a good starting point for us uh, to talk about here. The Phoenix Suns, who made it to the conference finals, and uh, some said they had an easy path. Others would say, well, they, they had their own injuries that they overcome. Other teams weren't able to overcome th- those injuries, uh, had the lead in the finals, uh, were not able to to take it home, but obviously doing it with some really young players uh, as big parts of this. So. I guess that maybe the place to start, though, is just like how they did it. What was so good a, about this team compared to, to years prior? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing, obviously, is the addition of Chris Paul. I think that kind of was what got all the the parts together. Uh, Devin Booker's been putting up incredible numbers for years. Uh, Should have been all-star numbers. He'd only made one before this season. Um, and then I think the DeAndre Ayton we got in the playoffs was one of the biggest keys because even a lot last season, he was getting benched in fourth quarters for Dario Saric, and for good reasons. Saric had a great year, and there were times that was just a better matchup. But in the playoffs, Aiton just really stepped his game up on the defensive end, really was exactly what you want in a modern big as far as being able to play the pick and roll, but also being able to defend the Nikola Jokic's of the world. And then, oh, by the way, on the other end, setting an NBA playoff record for field goal percentage. So, um the big three, obviously, where it starts, and then the Suns were just a really good defensive team. They could throw a ton of wings at you with Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, and with that elite backcourt, Aiton, and, and then all those wings, that's how they were able to get it done. So as we look at what they did last year over the course of the regular season and the playoffs, is there anything that points out to you on a team-wide level that might be prime for regression, that, that might be unsustainable and then similarly is there anything that pops out to you that uh, could actually stand to get better i mean uh, we'll get into the playoff injuries because i do have a bone to pick about that national narrative but in the regular season they were incredibly healthy i think booker missed like three games early in the year when when they were struggling a little bit but uh, they really didn't have any of their core players miss significant time um, I mean, Jay Crowder missed a few games here and there, but there were no significant injuries. And that was able to obviously was a big reason that they were the two seed. And uh, you just figure, especially with the short offseason that they had and how deep into the playoffs they played, that certainly seems prime for a negative regression. Yeah, that does pop out as well. And Chris Paul, yes, he does have the vegan diet Chris now. Paul, and he's another year older. Yeah, he, he's a year older. And 
you know, also like they've kind of, this was a team that had a ton to prove in the regular season mm-hmm. last year. And they, everyone was winning really for the first time. And they weren't about to just like start resting people in the midst of that. Now they've proven that they're a contender. There is a longer game. There are bigger fish to fry than regular season success uh, last year. And also, I mean, guys weren't injured. You might as well continue. It was such an advantage that they had over, over these other teams. So yeah, you could see that regressing. The other thing that would I would point out is just their performance with the bench last year that was kind of done with smoke and mirrors in some ways, like the net rating for Sharich, the bench defense was like mm-hmm. best in the league. Somehow I still can't figure out exactly how they did that because Dario Sharich is kind of no one's idea of some defensive stopper at center. Now that, but A, that group might have regressed even so. And now B, Sharich is likely out for the year. And so, you know, they did, mm-hmm. I think they did very well to get JaVale McGee in that spot given who was available. But, you know, I don't see their bench being quite as good from a, a net rating standpoint as they were a year ago. That may be true, but I think you can't underrate the addition of Landry Shamit, who essentially was their first-round pick. They traded mm-hmm. Javon Carter and their first-rounder this year for him. He's a guy Monty Williams had in Philadelphia and fits the .5 offense to a T where he's going to make his decisions real quickly to pass or shoot. And one thing that some of the Suns beat writers have been talk- writing about uh, to start the season is he's got some playmaking chops. He played a lot of point guard at Wichita State. We haven't seen that so much in his stints with the pros, largely in, with playoff teams where uh, he's more or less been an off-ball shooter. So I think his addition is going to be something that they sort of missed where, when they were really only going um, eight or so deep in the playoffs. I think that extra bit of shooting is going to be huge. So yeah, the net ratings might be unsustainable. Um, you're certainly right there. But I think that the bench will be just as good, if not better, because that Sham, it's that one extra piece that they just didn't really have last year. Yeah, yeah, they don't didn't have like the kind of that that movement shooter. Uh, you know, right. I do have some things that I think actually might get better this year, which we'll talk about. But since yep. you brought up Shaman, that was one that I didn't understand that much at the time uh, because you're like, all right, how much is this guy really going to play in the playoffs? To, I mm-hmm. mean, now it was the 29th pick. It's not exactly like you know some incredible diamond asset that they're giving up here, but. I thought he's a fourth guard, you know, giving up a first round pick for a fourth guard, you know, unless you're going to play Devin Booker at the three, it becomes difficult. And they, they might do that during the regular season playoffs, maybe not, but it, you know, it just, it became difficult for me to find a role for him defensively, um, you know, because mm-hmm. Cameron Payne was so good. I mean, maybe you could say, I mean, unless you're going to have Shamit and Booker be the backcourt together, it was kind of hard for me to see a huge role for him in the playoffs. And then you know, giving up a first-round pick for someone who might not play for you that much in the playoffs, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. But do you think he'll have a larger role than I'm envisioning? I do. You never know in the playoffs because um, as the rotations obviously uh, shorten. But I just think he's such a good fit. I think he's going to be play a really important role in the regular season. And then there's just kind of that um, in- injury insurance. So you go back to the Clipper series, games one and two, Chris Paul missed for the health and safety protocols. And the Suns just didn't really have much off the bench guard-wise once you put campaign in the starting lineup. So I think it just gives them that extra insurance that if you had Shamit, they'd be in a much better spot. You wouldn't be playing guys who you really don't want playing in the playoffs. Um, Is he going to play a ton in the playoffs if you're at full strength? Good point. I don't know. Um, Maybe not more than five, ten minutes a game. But um, I I think he's such a good fit for what they do. Um, And when you think about 
I'm sure we'll get to the extensions that the Suns have on the horizon. Obviously, already signed Chris Paul to a big deal. Devin Booker's on a big deal. And uh, DeAndre Ayton and Mikel Bridges are looking at their rookie extensions. I think it might be wanting to shave a few pennies off the the payroll with not having the guaranteed rookie contract in the books. I think yeah. a little of that might have gone into it. No, too. Uh, th- that does make some sense. Yeah, th- th- you're talking about for next year because jam it for next year, right? right. Yeah. Having yeah. this year's cap, who cares? But yeah, for next year's cap, not having that on your books for a player who I imagine at that point in the draft, the Suns and James Jones hasn't cared a whole lot about draft picks as we've seen in his tenure. Um, I, I can't imagine he put a whole lot of value on that 29th pick. Um, so here's something that I think can actually be better this year. And that's the performance of the starting lineup. Like they really mm-hmm. cycled through guys that seemed obvious. Okay. They're going to start Jay Crowder and Mikhail Bridges. It's, that's obvious, right? They brought in Jay Crowder and, uh, you know, they tried that in fits and starts, but just statistically it wasn't successful for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know whether that was just bad luck because I, I, I mean, it worked great in the playoffs, obviously. So I think that that starting group, you know, since Crowder is probably going to be the starter now, he's ensconced there a little bit more. I think there's going to have more stability in that starting group, and I think it's just going to be more successful. So even if the bench does take a step back, I think the starters can be a lot better this year. The one thing I'll say about that is I know the starters started out really poorly uh, from a net rating perspective, and it did get better as it went along. Um, That was one of the big stories we tracked. The Booker-Paul combination, the first month, month and a half, uh, was fairly deep in the negatives. And then once the sun started clicking, I think they were 10 and 10 or so, and, and then they really took off. They were much better from that point forward with with those two guys and um, I believe with the starting lineup too. So I think um, if, if you cut out that the, the first month, month and a half or so, those numbers are going to look a little bit more like what you'd expect. So are any other things like on the team level that you expect to be a lot better this year? Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to be much better than, than what they were doing. Um, I still think they can be a little bit better three point shooting team. Um, one thing that was really impressive to me last year, they were an NBA best 27 and 11 against winning teams, which was, um, just something that was, they, they had a better record against winning teams than against losing teams, which just speaks to some inconsistency. I'm not sure how that happens, but, um, that was one reason I was fairly confident going into the playoffs all season long, they were able to beat up on good teams um, and always play to that level. Yeah. I mean, I guess the other thing we might say is the free throw shooting might regress since it was like the greatest in NBA history last year. Yeah. I mean, not by much though. There's still two seasons ago. Oh, sorry. Two seasons ago it was. So I think it did regress a little bit last year. Um, So maybe you get some positive regression back to it because you added Chris Paul to the best free throw shooting team in NBA history. Um, yeah, JaVale is not a very good free throw shooter. That's that true. Could, that could be That's true. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about the difference between like 83 and 85%. It's not a huge one. Um, so you kind of teased it earlier that you thought there was a, a national narrative that you d- did not agree with. Yeah. And I, I can't wait anymore. I have to know uh, okay. what it is, even though that normally would come later in the show. Well, I mean, just you hear it a lot about, especially the Suns obviously came somewhat out of nowhere. We were probably some of the more optimistic people because we both thought they'd be competing for a, a top two or three seed in the West. But yeah, um, I, I just did say that, that I thought it was possible they could have the number one yes. seed at the start of the season. Yeah, you absolutely did. That was a great call. Just one game away from that. Um, so obviously you look at the playoffs, there is no Jamal Murray for the Nuggets. There is no Kawhi Leonard 
for the for the Clippers, Anthony Davis went down in game four, missed the final two games. Uh, but I just don't want to hear that because the Suns were really only healthy for one series last year, and they swept that in decisive fashion against Denver. Um, first round, Chris Paul, early in the second quarter, he goes down with a shoulder injury, and he can't shoot three pointers the rest of the series. You know, this is a guy who is an all second team All NBA player, and he in the first couple of games, he couldn't even dribble. We're talking about one of the best point guards in NBA history. And he just had an incredibly loose handle. The ball's just uh, flying all over the place like that. That's not Chris Paul, who we saw against the Lakers series uh, against the Clippers. Um, he, he hurt his hand as well. Devin Booker had an injury. I mean, just because they were playing and obviously guys like Murray and, and Leonard weren't there at all. Like, I think that people underrate the fact that the Suns had some fairly significant injuries. And then you go to the finals and Sharich gets hurt early in game one. He pretty much didn't play in the whole final series. This was their key bench big. You noted um, the perhaps unsustainable, but at the same time, still very impressive. Uh, plus minus with uh, Sharich on the floor. And the Suns basically didn't have another big man to go to uh, aside from, I guess, Frank Kaminsky, which means... They didn't really have another big man to go to in the finals. So I think um, is some of those moments like in game five, when the Bucks went on the big run um, after the Suns got off to an early lead, that's a time when having Sharks in there would have been super helpful. Maybe the Bucks don't completely eliminate that lead. So I just think that, um, hey, injuries happen every year. Suns certainly were luckier than other teams, but pinning this on injuries, I'm just not here for it, Nate. So I think that there's definitely something to be said for that. And, and people, you know, all right, if, if you win, everyone forgets that you're injured, right? And if you lose, then all of a yeah. sudden, that's the first thing that people point to. I would say, though, that the Sun, even when you consider the injuries that the Suns had, uh, mm -hmm. that given the injuries to the other team, they went into all you know, into games by the end of that series, whether it was with AD out, uh, whether it was with Kawhi out. The, obviously with Murray out they were clearly the better team and were favored you know by the end of that series they had their own injury issues but I would mm -hmm. still argue and now you could just say hey they're a better overall team that's why they would be favored. but I think part of the mm -hmm. reason why that came along was that you know they the, I don't think that you would say that they beat another great team as they were constituted in the West playoffs like would you agree with that at least that that they None of those teams that they beat were a team that you'd be like, oh, this is a great team. This is like an unbelievable accomplishment to have beaten this team. Yeah, I agree with that. So, so I think that's where it comes from. Now, I think you can certainly argue, hey, uh, even if those guys had had all their guys and even and the Suns had also had all of their guys, that then the Suns might have won those series. I, I think that's reasonable. But I think it, it just mm -hmm. it, the injuries for the other teams got to the point where it was like, okay, they are not really a match for the Suns. And to be clear, like I think the Suns were a very, very good and possibly great team last year. And I think they would have given very good series and possibly even one series against all those teams. Well, I, I would have picked them to beat Denver if Murray were healthy, for sure. I probably mm -hmm. would have picked them to beat Utah. I don't think I would have picked them to beat the Clippers, and I did not pick them yeah. to, to beat the Lakers. Um, so so I think there's I see it from both sides. And then obviously, you know, the Bucks, they probably lost game one because Giannis was not like fully himself either coming back from his own injury that I think was the most significant that affected any team it in that series so mm -hmm. I, like I, I see your point of it and I definitely am not saying oh the Suns wouldn't have beaten those teams at full strength it's more just 
they had one of the easier paths to the finals that we've seen would would be the way I would put it. Yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, but still just, you look every year, we, we could go down the list and every year there's critical injuries that impact the, who makes the finals, who wins the championship, you know? So yeah. well, all this or, talk of but it, maybe there aren't five, <laughs> right? Or, yeah, or but 10, I, I like, know. wasn't it like, there were like 10 all-stars who got injured at one point. It was like, sure. this was the yeah. most injured playoffs that we've But a lot of those were in the East. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree. But then, you know, they, they also had an easier opponent maybe out of the East than they might have if there hadn't been. But sure. but anyway. No, again, no, I agree. If, yeah. if Brooklyn was at full strength, Brooklyn was winning that championship. There's no doubt about yeah. that. No, I, I agree with you. So, and then also, I mean, it's worth noting too, you know, they, they were healthier that like, that is part mm-hmm. of winning basketball games and staying healthier, yeah. particularly in like this weird, covid season that it, with all these games and stuff i mean it, it was it was a different type of year and maybe a different type of challenge than they would normally have but obviously you just you got to play the teams in front of you um but no, I, I, the, the, it's definitely an interesting conversation to have because surely i mean anyone when your team makes it to the finals and the first reaction of the national media is like you know they didn't deserve to be here that's right that, that's obviously rather vexing i, I understand that Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us definitely um uh, anything else that you're like really focused on uh, with these guys uh, in this preseason any like big questions that that stick out to you since we're sort of just uh ad-libbing it here <laughs> so far yeah i mean the the big question to me um down the road is what does jalen smith give you give you so we're talking about a guy who was the number 10 overall pick a year ago picked ahead of tyrese halliburton which i certainly thought was a mistake at the time uh, a lot of others second guess that pick, certainly uh, not looking too strong. And when you look at, like, to me, the Sun's biggest weakness, what they really need, they 
struggled to, f- to defend the really good fours. You know, your Zion, granted, everyone struggles to defend Zion, but they really just had absolutely no answer for guys like that big, strong athletic fours. When you're playing Jay Crowder at the four, he does a nice job, but there's certainly times when he can get um, overpowered on the defensive end and they just don't have a lot of depth there. Even just having, uh, going back to the finals, they really had one option to defend Giannis. Oh, yeah. That was it. And uh, Aiton did a pretty decent job on him. But when he wasn't defending Giannis, it was just bucket after bucket. I think he shot 70, 80 something percent um, against non Aiton defenders. So if Jalen Smith could actually be that guy, a big man who can stretch the floor, who could get you some rebounds and provide some of that defense or you could throw him on some of these tough fours, I think that would be enormous. Uh, But the fact that he essentially redshirted last year and um, it's, it's just hard to say, you know, I, I really don't have a good beat on what they're going to get out of him, but I, I see sort of what James Jones was going for in theory with that pick. And I think it would be really helpful for the team. I just don't know if he's that player. Yeah. Cause he was a college center. I thought he was a center yeah. and it does. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, it, but it doesn't necessarily, I, I think he's, you know, he still has like some bounce and some shot blocking ability. But yeah, I mean, when you see him out there, he does look like more of a four really uh, yeah. than a center. It's just, it's tough to ask a guy who is a college center to be like a defensive stopper who's going to be moving his feet and stuff. And, you know, he's put a little bit of weight on. Uh, I think that was a, a storyline early in camp. But yeah, I, I just, mm-hmm. to me, my default on him is kind of there. He's not really going to, I mean, they'll, I'm sure they'll give him some chances here and there. But I don't see him as like someone who's really going to contribute for them. But the, I mean, there are some minutes to get because Tory Craig uh, obviously uh, moved mm-hmm. on. So uh, I'm sure they'll give him a shot, and there'll obviously be injuries. Sharich is out as well, so they need a backup for uh, you know, unless it's going to mm-hmm. be Frank Kaminsky, which hopefully it won't be. Um, but but I I'm just not counting on him being a positive contributor this year. And I definitely think he's a five two or should be in the NBA. I'm just saying in some of those matchups to have that yeah. guy you can go to. Where uh, like eight, their best defender against Zion last year was guess who DeAndre Ayton. Yeah. You know, like Ayton's pretty much their best defender against any any of these big four or five. So just to have one more option, and again, some of these guys obviously Javel will be that person, but um, also just it, you know if if Ayton were to ever get into foul trouble, that 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 was kind of the whole crux of the Denver series to me, right? Like if Ayton stays out of foul trouble, the Suns are going to win. If he gets into foul trouble, they just have no no chance of stopping Jokic, and who knows what'll happen from there, you know. So I think um, Javel will be big in that regard, but also if if Jalen Smith could step in and give them something, and I I, I agree with your default position, especially from what they showed last season, because there were definitely times when you could have used a a Jalen Smith type, and they didn't go to him, which is not a good sign. Um, I, I sort of agree that that's got to be the default position. But um, I think that's the one thing, especially with, um, you know, they brought back 90% of their scoring, essentially. We we know what the Suns' core is going to be, what their core rotation is. He's the one guy that's outside of that core rotation that I think could potentially give them a boost, but at the same time, definitely can't count on it. So uh, let's uh, get into some, some of the other players. Uh, anybody that you see uh, as taking, like, a big step forward this year? Yeah, I think... Um, I think the big thing is, w- w- does Mikel Bridges and, and Cam Johnson 
uh, take a step forward, especially with their offensive creation. And I could even put Aiton into that as well. Yeah. Um, the Suns were such a well-oiled machine. Like you knew who was running the show with, with Chris Paul and, and Booker uh, creating the vast majority of the offense. So you didn't really need guys like that to do more than cut and uh, take their open three-pointers or maybe attack a mismatch once in a while, uh, especially if it's Michael Porter Jr., who's the guy <laughs> that <laughs> creating the mismatch. Um, but you know, I think those guys might have a little bit more playmaking in them. So I, I'm curious if they could take a step in that regard. Uh, Cam Johnson had a, had a nice move that in the Lakers game on a Wednesday night that we really hadn't seen from him. He's largely been catch and shoot type, maybe drive. So if, if those guys can do, um, some of that one-on-one stuff, I feel like that's something that could boost the offense in the playoffs when things slow down. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they did have in the end. I mean, the dimensions were awesome. The but they 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 were few uh, with this team uh, at times, and I do think that they kind of uh, ran out of options against it. What is a unbelievable uh, Bucks defense uh, at times? So yeah, right. you know, Cam Johnson uh, with his jump shot uh, being able to create a little something off the dribble. Bridges, you know, he hit that one pull up three, and I think it was game five yeah. against the Bucks. You know, so that sort of a thing every now and again from him i actually think devin booker can have a much better regular season this year than he did last year yeah no i i agree um i think it's like i said to start the year was somewhat of dueling banjos with chris paul and obviously they eventually figured it out but the the weird thing with devin booker he's not a good three-point shooter right like statistically yeah. it's crazy because we know we've seen him and i mean we saw him win a three-point contest you know with one of the better three-point contest performances we've seen so we know the guy's an unbelievable three-point shooter but it just doesn't show in the numbers and if he if he boosts his percentage even to you know a 38 39 percent three-point shooter granted he takes a lot of tough shots I mean, that would just take his scoring really to the next level. Yeah, the other thing that took a decline last year was getting to the foul line. It, uh, yeah. His free throw rate it decreased from uh, about uh, 0.40 to 0.30 last year. Which is You'd like to see him get fouled a, a little bit more. Now, part of that is he just wasn't on ball as much. He wasn't isoing as much. They, they had other stuff to do there uh, and other guys that they wanted to get involved, and they got him the ball more on the move that, than they had a continuation of what began the previous year with Monty Williams. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think, you know, 59% true shooting, like a point or two above the league average. Like I'd like to see that get over 60 for Devin Booker, particularly because I'm sure we'll see offense continue. Well, maybe we won't with these new foul drawing rules. So maybe that'll change things. But, uh, you know, I, I think he could in the, like he can go off on anybody. And he certainly is a guy who can be a focal point of the offense. And that's what you need. But if you're talking about a guy who really, is going to threaten to be a top 15 regular season player in the NBA. That's what I would like to see from him this year. Um, how about regression candidates? I mean, the the big one, uh, five of their top seven rotation players are all young guys, 27 or younger. Most of them 25 or younger. So um, we know it's it's Mr. Chris Paul. And um, I'm not worried about regression in his game, but just obviously at that age, you just don't know if he's going to be a little more injury prone, if he's going to need to play fewer minutes. Um, or I, I certainly don't think he's nearing the cliff. He's certainly um, still looked fantastic last season, obviously, second-team All-NBA, but uh, just when you're 36, going to be 37, that's the guy you've got to be looking at, right, Nate? I actually 
I'm more concerned about Jay Crowder than I am about him. Really? Okay. Um, and that's he, I that's mean, the other older rotation guy. <laughs> yeah, just because his shooting, though, that above the break three has just waxed and waned so much in his career. And they really need him to make that shot for their offense to really sing. If you can, if he's hitting 33% of those as opposed to 38, 39%, you know, like he did, obviously with Miami in the bubble, he was really good. And then he, but, yeah. you know, when he, where he's coming off with his time in Utah and Memphis, he was a low 30s three-point shooter. And yeah. so has he found just a totally new level? I mean, they even would run some shooting sets for him at times as well. And then just his athleticism as well and his ability to guard some of those fours that you're talking about to take some of the pressure off Aiton. Like it really is just for Aiton to guard whoever the best threat is at the four and the five every single mm-hmm. night. The hope is that he can get more impactful as a help defender, and that really kind of takes away from that. But Crowder, if he's going to slow down, he's also can be a little injury prone in his career. I think just in terms of like his mm-hmm. statistical performance and his age, I see, and because like his role relies more on like uh, physicality and athleticism than Chris's does. That's why I see him as a, a little bit more yeah. concerning there. Uh, although obviously, you know, any thirty age thirty six season, you wonder because thirty thirty five is kind of the end for most mortals uh and yeah. he's already gone way longer than you would expect it at this point nash went to 38 yeah. before the wheels fell off so you, you gotta you know think with especially the, the vegan and uh diet and the new training regimen that he's got maybe two more elite years but um yeah with with crowder i mean the only thing i'll say is he's only 31 yeah so he's still somewhat in his prime um but yeah i agree defensively in particular um because i feel like the shooting is going to come and go at times. I mean, he already is sort of a streaky guy, and we've seen that. He's even had streaky seasons. As you mentioned in the bubble, shot 44.5%. He shot 29% that same season when he played for Memphis. So he's been streaky his whole career. But yeah, the defense, that's the biggest thing because he really is the power forward on this team, you know, despite his his lack of size. And um, they they need him to be able to to bang in there. Any uh, uh, big position battles or playing time issues you think money williams is gonna have to sort out for this year as you mentioned so many guys are back we watched them so much during the playoffs it seems like we have a pretty good idea of what the rotation will be but any things that you think they still have to sort out yeah not really because like you said their top seven return i mean they've just been through the fire of a finals run so we pretty much know what that top seven is going to be we know how they're going to slot in um i think kind of like what we talked about earlier uh, the biggest thing is where does Shamit fit exactly? Are you going to run some more three-guard lineups? Um, Booker and Paul mentioned wanting to play with Shamit, see what those three-guard lineups look like. So I think figuring out where he fits in is going to be one thing. And then potentially the backup center battle. I mean, you feel it's JaVel McGee was brought in for that role. But again, I just wonder what can Jalen Smith bring you um, and where even do you find minutes for him? Because there really isn't a whole lot of area um, where that can happen. I'm sure injuries will inevitably crop up and, and there will be a time when he's needed. But um, just wondering, is, is he going to be a deep reserve like he was last year? Or can he even, um, to start, carve out 10 minutes a game even? Abdel Nader, to me, could figure in that backup 3-4 yeah. as well. I really liked yep. what Nader was giving them until he went down in March, like just watching some of the defensive film on him in those few games before he got injured. And then he came back, and I thought it was actually telling that 
Monty Williams essentially threw him right into the rotation yeah. in the playoffs. Where, yeah. So that showed to me that he had earned a level of trust before he got hurt, but he, he wasn't really ready to go yet and just couldn't hit a few shots and didn't have quite the same burst defensively. But if he can get back to the level that he was at before he got hurt, I think he can really be a quality piece. I think he'll be more valuable than Jalen Smith. Chandler Hutchison somehow is like still eligible hmm. for a two-way and he's on this team. Somehow. Um, but yeah, they, they don't, to me, have like quite the crazy quality of depth that they had last year where like Langston Galloway and Etron Moore were guys who I thought could still be lower end rotation guys who mm-hmm. weren't even playing for them. They're not quite at that point, but those relatively redundant players. So yeah, I mean, just sort of that backup three, four and the backup two, and then they still got Alfred Payton as a third point guard and Kaminsky as a third center. You know, maybe he mm-hmm. could figure at the backup four as well in certain matchups. So this team definitely has plenty of depth, I would say. I would say, um, obviously, the the one guy they did lose in free agency was Torrey Craig. I'm not sure they exactly replaced that. Sort of the big wing could be your fourth wing. Um, I agree that Nader has that role right now, but if they were to upgrade with a trade, I think that might be the spot they'd be looking at. I think they could have someone who could play that power forward spot, um, but also give you three-point shooting. Honestly, just bring back Torrey Craig, right? But um, something similar to what Torrey Craig gave them, I think that would be the one spot. And yeah, to start the season, certainly that'll be Nader's role. So, Or at least roster spot. uh, My next question then uh, about these guys uh, is, you alluded to this earlier, and the extension for eight and the extension mm-hmm. for Bridges. Do, do you have any thoughts uh, uh, on that process? Obviously your uh, ESPN colleague, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski said that they are not willing to pay the max. That's like a, a sticking point. Do you, do you have a thought on, on how that's playing out? Like is Aiton a no brainer max guy to you right now? I think that considering the circumstances, he is a no brainer max guy. I think in a vacuum, he might not be, I would want to see a little more shot creation out of a, a no-brainer guy, but um, I think he was probably the guy going to the playoffs who a lot of Suns fans had the most questions about just because, quite honestly, he's been pretty inconsistent. He's had dominant games on both ends. He's had times where he's sort of slept walked through games, and like I said, there were times when Sharitz was the better closing option um, just with his shooting and spacing, and that's something that you wouldn't expect out of out of a max guy, but I think we saw enough defensively. I mean, center is the obviously the most important defensive position and what he showed throughout the playoffs, being able to be the main defender on a Anthony Davis and Jokic, and then being able to defend the Clippers five out system better than the two time or three time uh, defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert did quite honestly. And then being the only guy who had any chance against Giannis, I think, he really solidified himself as a core piece. And I think if Michael Porter Jr., even though the last year is not fully guaranteed, if he's getting the rookie max, I don't see how the Suns couldn't give it to him. So even if he's not necessarily a, a slam dunk case, I think that with what the Suns are building, when you look at what the opportunity cost would be if you didn't give him the max, like who, who are you going to get to replace him with where this core's at, where it's, it's, this isn't 2018 when you basically had Devin Booker and a blank canvas and you were starting over. Like you've got a team that just went to the finals. You've got Chris Paul um, signed long-term for the, probably the end of his career. You know, you've got Devin Booker entering his early prime. Like 
you've got to you've got to sign the guy to the max. That's what it's going to take. Um, whether or not he's fully deserving of it, it almost doesn't matter. And I'm pretty confident by a week from Monday, he's going to have that contract. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and so, so you think it'll be the max and the, or, or do you think he would actually like come off of that a little bit? No, I I don't think he'd come off of that. Um, I mean, well, he can't get the five years also if he, and the Suns can't get the five years for him unless it exactly as well. Exactly. Um, I, I mean, I think that, um, I'm at, I I mean just looking at Devin Booker's contract um he got the there's no player option in that so I imagine the Suns are going to be fairly adamant there and um even all although all these guys are getting all you need to do is make third team uh, Booker's contract had something like 27% of the cap starting salary forget something right around there if he made third team all NBA and then on up so I'd imagine the Suns want to give Aiden something similar um but I could have also imagined um, since SGA and Porter Jr. were getting just make third team uh, that Aiton's agents want that. So um, it, it just feels like there's there's too much momentum with with where the team's at, um, what what D.A. means. I can't imagine them going through um, the season with him headed toward restricted free agency next year. Honestly, the more interesting one to me is Mikel Bridges, because I really am not sure even exactly what his value is um, as to me, just an elite. I think he should have been an well, all defensive well, hold, team Hold player. that thought on him. Let's let's finish up a, sure. on, on Aiton. Sure, sure. So, uh, to me, I think that. Uh, let me ask you this: What would you have thought of DeAndre Aiton max extension before the playoffs last year? I would have not loved it, but I would have understood if that's where it went. I, but yeah. I, I think that I I think the playoffs was the the factor because it was it was like. What's he going to be? Is he, is he going to uh, be sleepwalking through some games? No, he just had the best field goal percentage in NBA history and played elite defense, you know? So I think that that to me was what turned it from, oh, I don't know, maybe we just go to restricted free agency and, and see what happens to, okay, you got to get it done. No, and obviously there are interpersonal aspects uh, to this as well. I think it's, it's Aiton's value is, to me, at a little bit of a high right now and oh yeah for sure. now if he came out this year and played the way that he played in the playoffs last year uh, and they have another really successful season i would totally understand paying him that that contract and i would be happy with it my concern is just for their long-term salary structure and you know bridges mm-hmm. kind of fits into this too of like you know devin booker kind of a co-number one with chris paul last year chris paul's not gonna be around for forever and so, you know, mm-hmm. DeAndre Ayton as your third option in the playoffs, not really creating offense, but an incredible finisher and Bridges as your fourth best player. Yeah, that looks pretty good. And it looks pretty good when those guys are on rookie contract. Now, if you're asking Mikhail Bridges to be your third best player on a team as a championship contender and Ayton is your second best and you're paying them like that, and particularly with the, an owner who, you know, is I think we can agree won't go deep into the tax. Uh, you're yeah. limited in terms of, of your ability to add players at that point. And so I, I just, to me, a team with Devin Booker and Bridges and Aiton and, you know, no other real star level of player, that's kind of like a first round playoff exit type of team for a long time. And so I think if you're thinking about the long-term salary structure of this team, it, it's difficult, right? Cause you, you don't want to piss him off. And I understand your feeling of like, Hey, they got to go for it right now. Now, granted he is under contract for this, <laughs> this year still. Yeah. 
Um, you know, there have been like John Collins went into restricted free agency last year that didn't like kill the Hawks season or something like that. Uh, they, they ended up coming up with something. So I would actually play it out if I didn't get the deal. I want to see more than a couple of series where, because I still don't think that Aiton is like an elite defensive player of the year type of guy. Like one of the best on ball guys, I'd say he's kind of more average as a pick and roll defensive center and a help guy. Uh, so for someone who's not just like absolutely in the top five of his position on either end, it's tough for me to just say, all right, here's the max now. Uh, and because if he plays, it has the same regular season he has last year, which guys do, and then they lose in the first round of the playoffs, he would not get a max. They would get him for cheaper than that, I, I think, because mm-hmm. uh, I don't see the team that's coming with a huge offer sheet. They still could use the maximum qualifying offer as well. So I will actually defend the organization here. I think that they they are doing it the way that I would would do it. Some people are saying I'm discounting the human factor too much and the culture they're trying to build after it's Mm -hmm. been so terrible there for a while and you want to reward guys uh, and all that. But yeah, you know, 25 million a year. Okay, I'll I'll pay you that. Uh, But yeah, I I think just the no brainer max to me is a little much. And it it is interesting, you know, if you think it's going to happen, you might just know more about it than me. But Bobby Marks had this point that max extensions are basically never agreed to this late in the process because if they were going to pay it, then it would have been agreed to already. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And um, I'm very worried about the long-term salary structure because they are in a spot where they've got a lot of guys on rookie deals. Um, Cam Johnson will be coming up the year after these guys. And it's just hard to think that they're going to pay everybody. So you're going to not only you, you say, like you said, everyone's going to have to move up a chair with eight into two and bridges to three, but you might not have Cam Johnson there either, you know? So it's definitely going to be, there's definitely going to be some tough decisions where you're going to lose potentially um, assuming you aren't going deep into the tax, which seems like a fairly good assumption at this point. Um, isn't like, isn't Robert Sauer, didn't he make his money like in Arizona real estate? Am I remembering that he, right? He's, he's in banking, but yeah, I think he did have some real estate yeah, too. Because I, I read that he owns Air, some banks. Phoenix real estate has like gone up since the pandemic more on a percentage yeah. basis than like anywhere in the country. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Robert Sarver is one of these, uh, I traded all for a little more type of billionaires. <laughs> it seems no, like abs- yeah, right, right. Monty Byrne style. Um, yeah, so that's a, let's talk about Bridges now though, because to me, yeah. another like difficult guy to value in some ways even though he is very elite at what he does no i i agree he's very difficult to value and um if he does get a little bit more shot creation i feel like his value could really shoot up i mean i feel like he's already one of the best defensive wings um that we have in the league uh so like would you look at a guy like og ananobi for your 72 million like i feel like that's way too low although granted i feel like it was too low for ananobi as well so i think we're probably looking at maybe 490 type of thing maybe even up to 4 100 yeah what he would want and i don't know especially if, if you're gonna pay you're already paying paul and booker uh booker i imagine is gonna if well, if he does make an All NBA team, he's going to have a super max type situation on his next deal. And um, if you sign Aiton to the the full rookie max extension, it's just tough to see how much you can afford to pay him, especially knowing what the rest of your team might look at like. That being said, I think he's absolutely indispensable, and and they're going to have to. I think if you just have if it is just Booker, Aiton, and Bridges, I think you do that and figure out the rest later. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not sure what the number is if. If if you had to, I would guess ninety right now, four ninety. Yeah, and I think that I would 
feel comfortable paying that. In our mock rookie extensions, it was four for 84 where we ended okay. up. And we, we had like a long that. discussion about that for those who are interested, Dan Feldman and Danny and I talking about Bridges Market and 3 and D guys and some of the comps. I actually, I like OG a little bit better than Bridges just due to having a little bit stronger physical mm-hmm. profile. And, you know, OG averaged quietly like 16 points a game last year. Yeah. Now, if you're comparing him to where he was before the extension, that was a little different. But I think OG is like the best isolation defender in basketball. And Bridges is not like quite that level, even though he's he's really, really good. Um, but And also OG got the player option, which I think probably reduced the per year amount that that ended up being 18 million so yeah i think like low 20s yeah uh but 25 might be a little bit much and that's he's another guy if it gets to restricted free agency for that sort of a player is anybody going to really like break the bank with an offer sheet that's like well over 20 million because the teams that have that type of cap space don't really need a three and d guy like the teams that need that guy are like teams that are ready to win right now like oklahoma city doesn't need to spend $25 million a year so they can go from like 20 wins to 30 wins uh, with Mikhail Bridges. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us um, all right that, let's see here what else we need to talk about um you know i think we're pretty familiar with kind of what this team is but any like kind of under the radar strengths or weaknesses for these teams that you think d- don't get enough play yeah i mean i don't know if this is under the radar but just you look at where the nba is heading it's all about three pointers and layups pa- uh, points in the paint and the Suns kind of do it differently. They scored the second most mid-range points per game. And I think you saw that a lot in the playoffs where you had two just absolutely elite mid-range guys. And uh, when you play pick your poison, the Suns were more than happy to have Booker and Chris Paul just keep canning mid-range shots. I mean, I think back to some of those games in Denver where uh, they they let Chris Paul, he came off the screen and he had an open mid-range shot every time. And he just made like six in a row of them, you know? So I think that um, as much as you, you look at this analytics era and how much you want three-point shooting, uh, I think there's 
the Suns are doing something a little bit interesting. And, and granted, you have Chris Paul is maybe one of the best mid-range shooters you've ever had. Devin Booker, another elite mid-range player. Um, so it's sort of catering to their roster, but also um, kind of a zag thing while everyone else is zigging that I think is kind of interesting about why this team is successful. Yeah, and, and the thing is, they're just so good at it. it, it they are good enough, exactly. particularly when you're talking about just a half-court possession that you have to reorient your defense to account for that shot. You can't just give Chris Paul or Devin Booker that shot from the right elbow out of pick and roll every single time. Now, if you have really good personnel at center and you have really good personnel on the ball who can re-review contest, you you can deal with it in a conventional style. But if you Mm -hmm. have the personnel that the Denver Nuggets had in the second round, uh, no, no, you're going to be in big trouble. And, uh, And then, you know, then you really have to like put two on the ball out top to even prevent him from getting inside the arc with the ball and snaking the pick and roll. And then obviously they can find that incredible shooting in either corner. And those guys are just going to knock that down. So yeah, it is, it is really difficult to deal with. And particularly once you make the defense respect that shot and make them guard all three levels, it, and then you've got Aiton rolling to the basket as well right. as a great finisher. So, uh, I mean, probably, probably the biggest thing honestly is, you know, making him shoot the three-pointer off the dribble. Like, that might be how I would defend those guys and make him hit threes off the dribble rather than get into mid-range um, and make them prove they can do that. But that's picking your poison, too. You know, those guys can, like, Devin Booker is not a great percentage shooter, but you also don't want him just, like, firing away from down there if you're a defense. So. One of these years he will be. Yeah. Well, he was, yeah, he made it to 38%, I think, in 17-18. Yeah. And he, he regressed again. Um, He finally broke the... uh the six three streak he's never made more than uh six three pointers in his regular season career but then he smashed that in the lakers game six and i think he did it once more in the playoffs so now that the the seal is broken there now he can make more than six threes in a regular season game and actually shoot a, a decent percentage from three for a player of his caliber yeah or of his shooting caliber and he's only taken six a game which is not that much considering like uh, how many shots uh, he's taking uh, any other weaknesses uh, for this team that uh, concern you? Um, not really. I mean, just like I said, the um, interior defense against some of those really tough fours. And uh, I think that's that's just something that stuck out last year and um, don't think has necessarily been addressed. Yeah, I think so. I, I think just like their help defense, their rim protection at, at mm-hmm. times, I think Aiton is only okay there. JaVale, I think, will help with that, though, yeah. compared to having Sharich at at center, but I, I do, I'm actually a little bit more of a believer in this team's offense than their defense uh, during the regular season. I think that's uh, going to sustain their shooting. They just have too many efficient guys on this team and they have good enough creators to set them up that I think that's just a formula that's just going to continue to work really well. You know, the defense, I think it's kind of, I could see them maybe, you know, lower end of the top 10, like, you know, mm-hmm. maybe into the teens this year. Like, I think, what were they last year again? Let me see. I'm not sure. I, I've got it here. If if you don't, I can't believe you can't just recite this off the top yeah. of your head. This, I, what a yeah. massive disappointment that is. Uh, they were sixth per cleaning the glass a, a season ago. Although they were, there were like five other teams that were within a, a couple tenths of a point of them getting down to tenth. So, uh, but I mean, I think there'll be a quality defense for for sure. And but by the way, I can't let this slide that. If Rudy Gobert had the Phoenix defensive talent around him, he might have looked a lot better <laughs> against the yeah. against the Clippers. Like they really do have a lot of good uh, defenders on the wing, and Paul is still a good help defender as well. 
So, uh, and Booker made some strides. Yeah. I mean, I know that was kind of the thing earlier in this earlier in his career when, when he legitimately was not a good defender. But you saw in the playoffs how hard he was working at that end. Yeah, he, uh, he's certainly not an elite defender, but you know he's got the size. And um, man, and when the games counted, he he really went hard at that end. Yeah, you know LeBron was going after him a little bit in that Lakers series, and I still would be interested to see again. You know, they didn't go up against. It went up against LeBron, but he had nobody else there to, to help him. The Lakers shot like under 30% from three in that series, so they were really able to load up against him. And LeBron also wasn't a 100%, and then they didn't go up against Kawhi. I do think it would be interesting, though, like if he gets hunted by those power wings on the mm-hmm. other team, it, what does that look like? But it's really probably only LeBron and Kawhi in the Western Conference that you have to worry about it with that, I would say. Um so that's that's not the end of the world, and you know most shooting guards are going to struggle in that situation. Yeah. Obviously, um, you ready to do some predictions here? I'm ready. Okay, uh, I'm going to ask you to go first this time. I've gone first on the last few shows here. So, uh, what do you got in terms of wins for the 2021 Phoenix Suns? I'm going 58 wins. 58 wins. Yeah, that yeah. is. I went for the over with them for sure, which was I think it's 50 and a half. Yeah. So why are you so much higher on them than than Vegas? I mean, I just think that last year wasn't a fluke. And I think that when you look at the continuity that they brought back, essentially their entire rotation, I don't see any reason why this season wouldn't be the same as as last year. I think especially with such a short offseason, the fact that honestly, it feels like a continuation of last year. I think that's going to help them a lot. And um, like I've said, I, I just don't think there's a lot of areas of regression on this team, assuming Chris Paul is still who he is. Um, that I see no reason why they won't be right where they were last year, which is top two in the conference. Yeah, I'm a little bit lower than that. I think I would have them third. You know, I'll probably, I'm probably mm-hmm. going to go like 51 or, or, or 52. A few reasons for that. Uh, they did win two games more than expected a year ago uh, per cleaning the glass. Uh, you know, I do think they might take a little bit of a step back from being the sixth ranked defense. Uh, you know, I think that bench, that crazy bench, uh, differential might not quite sustain the way that it did. Um, you know, so even last year they had the expected point differential of a 56 win team. So I, I think they're still gonna be really good. I mean, I'm picking them for the three seed probably. Um, but I don't think they're, they're going to be better in the regular season next year. And part mm-hmm. of that, I think is just not only do I think that they are likely to have more injuries, it's just that everyone else is going to have fewer injuries. Like everyone mm-hmm. else was just totally screwed in that season. I mean, I remember a game where finally the Suns and the Bucks played each other in the regular season. And that was like the first nationally televised game in like a six week period where all the teams were healthy and had all of their stars right. playing. It was just, it, it seemed like, because I've sort of, I've and I have to be consistent here because for a lot of these teams, we've talked about, okay, well, they were just so injured last year. They're going to be better this year. And so I push back on that because I think everybody is going to be is going to play more. They're not going to miss games due to COVID. Just the overall level of play in the league, I think, will be higher. So I'm saying, hey, mm-hmm. yeah, this team might be healthier this year, but everyone else is going to be healthier too. But the Suns aren't don't have that ceiling to be healthier. They already, I think, will experience at least somewhat of a regression. So that's another yeah. concern for me as well. It's just that they're getting wins on a night-to-night basis. Like I realize what you said about their great record against winning teams. Part of that could have been because on some of those nights, those teams didn't have a, all of their guys. Mm-hmm. And 
I know, I know that's a sensitive sensitive subject. <laughs> Give it. No, no, it's true. It's about. true. So, it's certainly true. So I mean, I'm still I'm still higher on these guys than apparently Vegas is um, to mm-hmm. to go over. But I do just think that it's going to be harder to get wins just overall on a night to night basis, and they can't count on improved health to help you know the rising tide lifting all boats. Like they're already at the ceiling, and, and so I think they will drop off a a little bit from last year be about four wins fewer than what would have been expected over an 82 game sample. And just for the record, I'm picking their exact same win percentages last year because oh, yeah. of course only 72 games. So um, they would have been at a, they were at a 58 win pace last year if it was a 82 game season. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Their expected wins per 82 based on their point differential was 56 uh, last year okay. as well. Um yeah, I mean, and, but certainly in a best case scenario, I could see them in the high 50s. I'm not quite sure that they're 60. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess another reason, too, for me, as much as I think that this is a great, great team, I still don't think they have any top 10 players in the NBA uh, on this team. Now, Booker could take a step forward to that mm-hmm. if he really pops, but there's also some great, great players in the league right now at, at that level. So it's just to talk about a team that's like really winning over 55 games in a normal year. I just, I'm not sure they have the top end talent. They have more depth than a lot of teams and maybe that's a, and they have a great system and a great coach. Uh, but that, that's another reason for me to think that maybe they're, they're kind of more in the pack with some of these other West teams than like right at the top of it. Um, at least from my standpoint. Um, but yeah, I mean, best case scenario, do you think this team could win the championship or is that uh, unlikely? Or I shouldn't say unlikely, um, but it, very unlikely. I, no, I wouldn't say it's very unlikely. I would say, uh, <laughs> not to go to this, but they would need some injury luck in Brooklyn or perhaps um, yeah. uh, non-vaccination luck. That might be happening. Well, that's, um, not, that's, that's not luck. That is entirely yeah. within uh, one person's <laughs> right. decision, actually. So That's that's true, but it's, it's luck for the rest of the league yeah. if, uh, if that ends up being the case. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think Brooklyn at full strength, I don't think anyone's going to beat them if if they stay healthy and, and on course. And I don't think the Suns could beat a healthy Brooklyn team. But um, a best-case scenario, I think they absolutely could. Um, I think in the West, obviously, I know the certainly the Vegas favorite is the Lakers, but I'm certainly lower on them than other people. I'm worried about their depth and how uh, their age and just what's LeBron going to look like with another year um injury wise in particular and then of course anthony davis can't seem to stay on the court for too long so i think that's certainly the biggest competition in the west i'm more optimistic i'd say a a true non-injury best case scenario i would say is get back to the finals but once you're there you know one twisted ankle and 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 you're winning the championship potentially so i'd say certainly that the most realistic best case scenario is your turn to the finals yeah, I would have the Lakers as the most likely team to make it to the finals. Although, obviously, yeah, their injury concerns uh, are big and much bigger th- than Phoenix. But I think at full strength, uh, particularly if AD is going to play more center, this this Ariza injury is not great. Like they don't they mm-hmm. don't have like two way wings coming out their ears. You know, he is well, thirty six. If you're but. if you're relying on Trevor Ariza, as someone who saw him what three years ago in Phoenix, that's that's not a good thing. He was actually okay, I thought for for Miami during the regular season last year. He struggled uh, in that series against Miami I think so you would have the Sun second in like that West hierarchy as far as like the most likely team to make it to the finals yeah yeah I think I might be there with you I think I would pick them to beat Utah um Mm -hmm. I think I would be pick them to beat Denver because I just like those teams are playing a conventional pick and roll defense 
They just don't have the perimeter defenders to get over screens the way you need to. Like, I don't think either of them can stop the Suns. And I don't, I think the Suns actually have a pretty good defensive matchup against either of those two teams. Mm-hmm. Clippers are tough if Kawhi's healthy. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think he's, he's going to be that healthy, though. I think I probably would pick them to yeah. beat the Clippers. Um, you know, I don't like their matchup as much against Golden State systematically, but I also think mm-hmm. they have more talent overall than Golden State. Um, even though Steph Curry to me would be the best player in that series. That would be, I, I just don't know what Golden State is going to be, but I think you would be foolish to assume that Golden State is to be better than Phoenix this year, even if the some systemic things might work for them. Portland, I, you know, Phoenix is just better than them, uh, I think. Dallas is an interesting one. I, I actually think a Dallas-Phoenix series would be like close to a toss-up for me. I will say Mikel Bridges guards Luka better than almost anyone. Yeah. So that the Suns have had a a huge edge since Aiton and Doncic came in the league, even though the Suns were bad the first two years of that. Not that that yeah. necessarily matters, but um, they would at least have some guys to throw at Luca. Yeah, that would be, that would be interesting. Uh, how would they guard Porzingis, do you think? Would it be Aiton on, on him, or would they go with like the wing on him so they could switch the pick and roll? Approach? I think it might be Aiton on him. Yeah, yeah, because that's that would be tough, I think. And, you know, Luca. We'll see. I I do have some faith in him to kind of figure things out over the course of, of the series. Um, and he might be able to use his strength against him, get down in the post a little bit more. If Aiton is going to be out in the perimeter, that, that would be fascinating. I, I think Phoenix. I think we'll have a better regular season record. They might have home court, but that's. I would have to see how the season plays out. That would be fifty fifty to me as of right now. But no, I mean as I, as I go through it, I, I think I might agree with you that they're actually the second most likely team to make it out of the West right now. Which I, I didn't necessarily expect to be saying, uh, but it's so it's so matchup based. But I think Phoenix actually yeah. has more matchup versatility than most of these teams do. Yeah, and that's so important in today's NBA, and I think that's a, a key part of it. Um, why they were able to make the finals last year. Um, all right, man. Well, uh, I guess uh, you're still doing your behind the scenes stuff on uh, NBA Today. Now is the new show. Is that right? Are you working? Yeah. On that? Yeah, NBA Today, it starts October 18th, which is the day before the NBA season. We're really excited to get that kicked off. It's a lot of the same behind-the-scenes people who worked on the jump, and honestly, a lot of the same analysts um, with Richard Jefferson, Kendrick Perkins, uh, Vince Carter being three of the main ones, and Chene Agumake. And then, um, obviously, Malika Andrews is going to be hosting it. So uh, we're excited to get started. We're going to be doing some cool new things with the studio and... Um, big focus on news with the show and uh definitely invite everyone to watch it three eastern noon pacific on espn and thank you so much for agreeing to come on i know you're big time now that you're on zach lowe's pod but yeah. making yeah. making time for us little guys here is much appreciated it's always, always a fun conversation i actually when they made the finals i actually re-ran our preview um uh, on uh Undunked on Prime. I think I might have even done that on the public feed uh, as well because it was really interesting to go back and listen to that to kind of see what we saw coming and, and what we didn't. It's, we actually did a pretty good job on the, on these guys yeah. last year, even though our win total was lower. But I think we at least yeah. like, saw this as a possibility. Right. Yeah. The win total was. Th- there was someone on uh, Sun's Twitter who like had a bunch of people put down their win total, and it was just funny as they get they got past every single one of them. Like. Nobody was this optimistic on the Suns as far as regular season wins. No one saw them get into 51. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. Well, this was great. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. And for listeners, we'll be back. Uh, maybe take a couple days off here. Let some of these uh, marinate. Uh, but certainly next week, we'll be back uh, with our usual five days a week. We'll talk to you all then.
Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. It's time now to discuss the Portland Trailblazers. We thought perhaps with the way that their season ended that it would be a huge summer of change. That did not end up happening. Damian Lillard is now back in, as you would have learned by listening to Locked On Blazers with our guest, Mike Richmond here. And they are kind of, this is just another iteration now around Lillard, around McCollum, trying to make this happen. They made some nice moves that I liked. They did that last year. It didn't work out so well. Uh, So what are the big storylines here uh, in camp as uh, we get closer and closer now, 10 days away from the start of the regular season? Well, the big storyline is that Damian Lillard spent most of the summer demanding that they make this team a championship-level roster, and he was rewarded with totally good player Larry Nance Jr., competent backup Cody Zeller and also Tony Snell and you know what if that doesn't scream championship level coordinate I do not know what does I mean I have I've seen it before and when you see Cody Zeller arrive you know that the Lombardi trophy can't be far behind well I don't know if you've heard this is uh the deepest team that they've had since uh, Neil O'Shea (laughs) has has been in Portland Hey, I have heard that. I keep I keep hearing it from Neil. He keeps telling me. He told me that in 2016. He told me that in 2019 when they added Mario Hazonia, Anthony Tolliver, and Hassan Whiteside. It is a thing. It is a rite of passage that if you cover Trailblazers media, if you go to media day, you get to hear Neil say that. Um, and luckily in my seven seasons around the team, I've now heard it three different times. <laughs> Who, who well, knows? But I think. But, well, honestly, I guess. I, 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 I mean, it is possible, right? Like he could just be continually improving the depth of every year. Three, three out of seven years is not like that's not insane. I, I mean, I might actually agree with him this year. He's, is, no, he's is right. It, is it that ridiculous to say it this year? No, I think he's right. I mean, it's it just like at what level does deepest, most talented team get you? You know, like I think they are. I think their top six, maybe even their top eight, is better than it's been. Um, depending on your opinion on Anthony Simons, and so like. Yeah, sure, sure. Does that mean does this mean, does deepest most talented team around around Dame that they've had mean uh, they win a playoff series? Maybe. Does it mean they win two? <laughs> Seems unlikely. Um, certainly doesn't seem like a championship level team, which is what the guy was screaming for all summer. So it just I, I feel like they're different, like slightly different and probably better. But um, what does that end up with? I think is the big question. 
Well, so to figure out that question, let's talk about what happened last year and sure. try to compare the roster to this year and the expected performance. So they did lose in the first round to the Denver Nuggets. What went wrong for the Blazers last year as far as actually being able to win a playoff series, really get into being, a, if if not a contender, at least a quasi-contender in the West as maybe they've been in past years? Well, they were the worst. Well, they were one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Certainly, the worst defensive team that made the playoffs last year. And in the playoffs, they couldn't survive. They had a good starting five, and any minute where any one of those five gentlemen was off the court, they got shellacked. Uh, and they had no, they had no solution. They had to drop Cantor. The can't can't play Cantor came back. Um, and they had to play Ronda Hellas Jefferson as the backup five. They just, they weren't, they were a horrific defensive team and Dame was outstanding and they didn't get any help in that playoff series. Um, and so then they went about and said, let's get better defensively. Let's, let's upgrade, I guess, around the margins because we can't make, we are either unwilling or unable to make a big swing. And they fired Terry Stotts to get um, a more creative offensive coach and a better offensive mind in Chauncey Billups. We'll see how that plays out. It's always unknown with new coaches, but um, they were just, they just weren't, they were not capable of beating Faku Composo and, and Austin Rivers in the playoffs last year. And um, that meant at least one major change. And Obviously, there are a number of PR black eyes for the organization over the offseason. We don't need to Oof. get into those too much. They've been discussed ad nauseum both on this podcast and on your podcast as well. But I did want to get your impression just of the substance of what Olshay was saying when he basically said that this team wasn't well coached enough and that that was one of their problems. Do you agree with that? Yes and no. Uh, I don't think I think uh, I think Terry Stotts did his worst coaching job of his tenure last year. I think they totally checked out on him. They stopped. They just stopped running his stuff more than the defense stuff, like more than the X's and O's on defense. They just checked out on him. On like they just didn't run through things. They said he said let's run these actions. He said mm, screw you. Let's just run a high pick and roll because we don't care. Or let's so, half heartedly. So, so is that something that that you've been told that that was the case? Uh, both it's observationally and yes, from some people yeah. I I've heard that this was, they kind of just gave, they kind of just not quit on him, but just, they just tuned him out more, more so than they ever had in the past. Um, but some of it was observational is why I asked people, I was like, doesn't it seem like they didn't play, they didn't run stuff. And that was sort of confirmed from uh, a couple different sources, um, around the team. Interesting. Well, and th there is a player who is the point guard who's kind of responsible for what you're going to run. Uh, so it, it seems maybe then that Damian Lillard had kind of given up uh, on what Terry Stotts uh, was running. And maybe he was right to do that because they were still a great offense, uh, regardless of whether they're running his stuff or not. Yeah, I, I think Dame was just like, hey, you know, you've got some good ideas, but we're not going to, we're just not going to put, I know what we can do. Like Dame knows he can be, he's good enough at his, at this level that probably roll the ball out. And they're like a top 10 offense in the league um, just because yeah. of his shooting and, and, and what he's, and what he can do. So like, you know, add Norm and CJ on the wings and you're, you're pretty darn good. Like, I think they were after acquiring Norman Powell, they were the, uh, best offense of the league second best offensive league behind only brooklyn like they were really good after um basically april 1st yeah so it really came down to the defense then and you mentioned the issues with uh without the starters uh, on the floor as much as yusuf nurkic uh, i think had slipped a little bit and wasn't able to play as many minutes this is his first full season back from that horrific leg injury that he suffered in 2019 
With him on the floor, they're totally fine. 109 <laughs> defensive rating, uh, 81st percentile per cleaning the glass a year ago. And with him off the floor, they're 8th percentile, 119.5 offensive rating. So, all right, he, he's going to be back. Those starters uh, were really good. Most team starters are, are pretty good. Those high-minute lineups, either they're good or they don't stay the starters and they don't stay right. high-minute lineups. Uh, but uh, so, you know, you are grading on a, a pretty severe curve there. But it seems like, uh, you know, outgo Ennis Cantor, outgo Carmelo Anthony, Anthony Simons, still there. Uh, but that they, their number one problem was defense off the bench and defensive versatility. And it seems like they did everything they could to fix that. Yeah, save for trading CJ McCollum for a certain 6'10 point guard in Phil- who, you know, currently last worked in Philadelphia, um, which maybe they'll get there. I don't know when you're releasing this, Nate, but anything could happen there once they give up 17 first round picks. Um, yeah, like I think Cody Zeller is a massive, I'm, I'm a Cody Zeller believer. Um, that might make me a nerd, but like I, I think Cody Zeller's like level of competence is um, really useful as a backup center. I think he's probably an underrated defender, like sort of generally speaking. Um, and I really like Larry Nance Jr. I think he can really help. Like, I think that's a, I think that's a, a legitimate upgrade. Um, if Anthony Simons improves to somewhere like just like normal bad on defense, as opposed to one of the worst defensive players in the league, then they've, I think they're okay. Like, I think they're in a good spot. Um, even, you know, that you mentioned the starting lineup, even sort of relative to high usage lineups, that group was kind of fine. Um, it was, it's really just about how many more, how many units can they steal without it? And I think for the most part, I think they've addressed it. And I think, I think every addition other than I don't really understand Ben McLemore, but the, but the sort of idea of Tony Snell and, and Zeller and Larry Nance Jr., like I think, and re-signing Norm, like I think it all kind of, it answers the question, how does this team get back towards sort of a league average defense? Because if they're a league average defense with how good I think they're going to be on offense, then they're going to be a very competitive regular season team. No, uh, I believe that. Uh, I thought, uh, getting back to the coaching issue, because the, that's the other the other way you could fix it. Obviously, personnel is one, coaching is the other, particularly on defense. And their defensive plan, I thought, was just atrocious uh, against Denver. Um, you know, they did try a few things, right? Like, they tried to have Nurkic stick to Jokic so he couldn't kill him in the pick and pop, and that let those guards get loose. But they still should be able to stop those guards anyway. It, you know, they just, like, little things. The, the one that always stuck with me was Facundo Campazzo screening for Nikola Jokic and either like Lillard or McCollum, McCollum I thought had a really bad series on both ends, uh, or whoever was guarding him just like wouldn't help onto Nikola Jokic. Like you got to stick to Facundo Campazzo and not help on Nikola Jokic on a cross screen coming across the lane where Nikola Jokic is going to catch the ball right at the basket. You're not going to help on that. Like it was it, things like that where it was just one of the worst. I mean, whether that was bad coaching, bad execution, things like that, where like you should not have a totally non-threatening guard being able to get Nikola Jokic wide open in the lane all the time. Like, those are just the little things that absolutely killed me about their performance which was extremely disappointing and yes i did pick them to win this series because it was facundo Campazzo and austin rivers in the backcourt for the nuggets and, and marcus and, howard uh, off the bench yes yes thank you uh, you know monte morris had, had a few moments too, he though, was but, good uh, and you know but he's also not like so some world beater either and, and Jokic obviously is unbelievable but so we talked about the personnel we'll get into that a little bit more but let's just get to the billups era here what are some of the early 
early indications uh, that people have been talking about how it's going to be different under Chauncey Bills? You know, he, he said, uh, I, I, let me just address sort of the thing that I think we do, the biggest question and what we get into the hard stuff in a moment. But like he's talked about moving the ball more on offense and, and they've only played one preseason game. They had a weird schedule where they had a preseason game and then a full week off. So they've yeah. only played one exhibition game and Damon C.J. aren't going to play in their second exhibition game. So we're not going to see anything. It's a little bit annoying, but um, he's not, he doesn't need to do me any favors. Uh, he wants to move the ball a little more on offense. He wants to make Nurk more of a fulcrum, more of a, a passer and kind of high post um, high post spots. They were last in the league in assists last year, last in the league in raw passing. They were an ISO heavy team that was extremely good at scoring in isolation. Um, like I said, like some of that is just personnel. So he wants, he wants to move the ball more and I think bring Nurk out a little higher on the court to facilitate that. He's also moved Damon CJ off the ball a little bit more often giving Anthony Simons a chance to initiate letting guys did they sign Evan Turner no they signed Mario Hazonia instead the Croatian Evan Turner um they (laughs) (laughs) no they they have not I think I think Dame was like I think Dame is so against them signing the secondary ball handler he's like I just want the ball like screw these guys that they they didn't they decided just let that go hence Ben McLemore they were you know um that's why I don't think I'm not 100% sure Dennis Smith Jr. will make the roster but so the offense is talking about ball movement and that's all well and good in the preseason. But when the, when things get tough, I kind of expect him to do what he does, which is dribble a lot and take 35 footers. Um, he's really good at it. He's one of the best pick and roll players in the world and he can really shoot. So um, him falling back on maybe doing things that aren't aesthetically pleasing uh, to the pass lovers is okay. But the biggest change is going to be defensively. They are going to eschew drop coverage to play much more aggressive on defense uh, everyone's talking about them being at the level of the screen and kind of obsessing over where Nurk is to guard pick and rolls. And I think that's a big deal. But the main thing that I saw in the first uh, uh, preseason game was how they were pre-rotating, how aggressive they were on the backside rotating. And they looked bad at it, Nate. <laughs> they looked well, bad they, they at gave it. up 69 three-point attempts to the Warriors. They, which, now, that Warriors offense is actually looking pretty good so far yeah, they're, in they're preseason, gonna... but still. Yeah, they just the, the third pass had them scrambling to a point where they could never recover. Um, I I like the idea. Last year they gave up a ton of threes and a ton of rim looks and forced zero turnovers. So let's just say they give up a ton of threes and a ton of rim looks and force some turnovers. That's that's a fine trade off to me. Like schematically, that's fine. Yeah. Um, you'd be better off in that spot. But they're going to be more aggressive. And I'm I'm not sure the person like I like the that idea with Larry Nance Jr. and Robert Covington. I'm not sure I like that idea with three six foot three dudes trying to scramble around and X out and recover and it's it's it seems dicey but um thank god that we don't have to watch them play drop and have their guards navigate screen so poorly again at least something new to watch <laughs> yeah going back to the offense you know they did have a, a little bit more dame off the ball like he got a nice three when he came off a, a screen on on an iverson cut yeah i noticed that open. too yeah um, the other thing I think that Lillard can do too is if he's just being guarded by the other team's point guard, and we saw this obviously in the 55 point game, but he's just getting so comfortable just shooting that three in isolation, even without yeah. a screen. If he's being guarded by someone who's like six, three and under and doesn't have a ton of length, he can just like kind of get into that guy's body and just shoot right over him for the step back. Obviously not something you're going to do on every possession, but I think him operating even just without a screen, if you're just putting the other team's point guard on him, like it, you know they started off with Steph guarding him I don't know if the Warriors would do that in, in a real game but if you're going to put someone like that just a normal point guard to guard him like I think he can just go right at that guy one-on-one and just shoot a three over him uh, or obviously 
blow by and then create something for others so that's something i'd like to see a, a little bit more as well i mean that's not kind of antithetical to what you're talking about with the the more ball movement etc but i i think particularly as dame kind of slows down a little bit but just gets stronger i think that could be a part of his game as well even more going forward yeah you put shaq harrison on him to lock him up and he's you know he's just not worried um it's that's the uh it's and the pick and rolls invite the traps and the blazers have been um you know have not been good operating out of those short rolls although nurk should be better and zeller should be better and larry nance if he ever gets to play five um should should be better there but yeah i think um i i think in general the the idea of ball movement and passing is is more it's to me it's so theoretical at this point like i've I, I've watched a lot of Damon CJ in my time. <laughs> I've watched him up close a bunch. I'm not sure that they can be on a team that whips the ball around and feel comfortable. And um, some of it is just you, you kind of got to roll with the guys you have. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. So another of the tropes that comes when a new coach is hired, but they've been a little bit more, how should I put it? They've been a little bit more about transparent about the specifics of it than some is greater accountability. Yeah, so that's it, a big word. That's something they've been talking about a lot. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, um, this there is an idea, not an idea. When Terry Stotts was the head coach, Damon Lillard didn't get yelled at in film sessions. Uh, it was a problem for that role players complained about uh, to me in various forms over the last six years I've been around the team is that when they screwed up in uh, in film, it said, hey, Mo Harkless, um, you screwed up. Evan Turner, you screwed up. Ed Davis, you screwed up. And when Dame screwed up, it said, we need, a little, we need to do a little better on the backside. We need to clean up a little better on the backside. Um, and he just didn't get yelled at. He didn't get held. He didn't get he didn't get the sort of hard coaching that the other players did got. And I, I don't think that's totally uncommon around the league, but it was something that um, Chauncey Billups has said he is going to uh, totally, he is going to lean into. He's, he used the phrase, put an address on it. So when he sees something go wrong on film, if you, it doesn't matter who you are, you can be the star of the film that day. Say, Dame, you, you sucked here. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it's better to do it behind closed doors than publicly. And um, so I think... In theory, more accountability for Damian Lord, who was one of the best five offensive players in the league last year and maybe one of the five worst defensive players in the league last year. Um, bringing up that defense is really valuable and a coach that will demand he's a better defensive player can only be beneficial. But, you know, there's only so much give and take you can yell at an absolute superstar with. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be yelling. You could just say it too, right? Like, I don't yeah. know that you have to. From what I understand, Chauncey is much more of a yeller than the past coach. Much more of a Interesting. Yeller. Yeah. That, uh, that can wear thin. Yeah, I, I like I, that's in that's like, hey, what is Chauncey Billups like through four summer league practices and through a little bit of training camp? Um, and I think training camp is a much different than a middle of November practice. You know, like once you get to the season, he knows the grind. Um, and I don't think Terry was much of a screamer at all. So I think any yelling people are like, whoa. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think you can yell at Damian Lord. Like you said, I think you can tell Damian Lord. I don't think you can yell at Damian Lord for a whole season. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think yelling yelling at anyone in the NBA really really works that well. We'll see. I, you're right. I'm sure it's, that's not going to be uh, a, a. I mean, he was brought in to be who he's going to be, obviously. But right. I, I don't. Th- I would be surprised if that continued throughout the season. Um, you know, I guess if they're having success, maybe them that goes over a little bit better. So it, it is funny you mentioned Dame's defense do you remember the game 
game that they played in Indiana where Dame like completely changed the game with his defense on Malcolm Brogdon? Yeah, he he asked to guard Brogdon, who was kind of lighting him up. And he said, I'm going to like, give me the assignment. I think they had maybe it wasn't switched on him, but it was like the second half. He just he just got up in his in like yeah. in his airspace. L- late second quarter was what was my recollection. Yeah, he um, got up in like, his airspace and totally changed the game um, in a game that they were kind of in trouble. Uh, yeah, because because they had really they had been playing poorly up until then. And mm-hmm. he was just he just stepped up and did it. And you know, he, and he could be OK on switches too. like he's not going to get back down in the post. He's pretty strong. But it yeah. is to see him capable of that level of effort. And, you know, we, we see his offensive load. But if you compare his overall execution of the system to say someone like Steph Curry, I would say that those guys, you know, Dame, if anything, has better physical tools than Steph Curry. But Steph Curry tries defensively pretty much all the time. And he, yeah. he sets an example for his team. And we saw how powerful that could be when Dame actually did that and really gave his team energy. And uh, I wouldn't say that Dame had a higher uh, minutes load than Steph Curry did and a higher creation load than Steph Curry did last year. So I would still like to see some more effort. And if Billups can get him out of them, get that out of him, we've seen that he is capable in spurts of providing that. Yeah, there was a there was a game in the I think it was in the bubble against the Celtics against where he was like, let me guard Jason Tatum and they needed him and they came back and they won. It was kind of a shootout. But like he's there are moments where Dame it takes things much more personally on defense and is and is a capable defensive player. I think some of the idea of the Phillips more egalitarian offensive approach is to is to lessen Dame's plate a little bit on offense so they can ask more of them on defense. Like I like I think there is some um there is like a sense that say, hey, what if what if you're off the what if you're not on the ball for 36 minutes a night? What if you're on the well, you know, what if you spend a bunch a little more time off the ball, a little more time, you know, one cut, one Iverson cut and get a jump shot as opposed to all that dribbling, can you give us more on defense? I think that's I think that's part of the plan. Well, and if you're going to acquire Norman Powell, that's kind of the point of him, right? To be a secondary or tertiary scorer, and he was averaging 20 points a game with Toronto. He can do some stuff on the ball. He's not a great passer, but you could run plays for him. You can give Lord some time. I thought that, particularly in the playoffs, that Powell really got lost at times and was pretty inconsistent, in part just due to being forgotten about within the offense. So I think they have enough talent that he should be able to take on a slightly lesser offensive role yeah some of it is convincing him to buy into it and i think that's the idea of billups is that billups is a guy who's maybe more capable of getting dame to buy into the plan let's talk about the new additions now and you you started with nance how is he going to fit into this rotation well he only played four in the first preseason game but billups has said he will definitely play five he used the word definitely so i hope that's true um i think that's the most intriguing lineup is him and robert covington as four and five um i think that's your defensive versatility i think nance says a five is is it's a short roller and a passer is really um interesting uh you know, they're going to play a bunch of traditional lineups with him, but I think he fits well there. Uh, there's, there is a idea among Blazer fans. It's like a thing that shows up in my Twitter mentions a lot. It's Larry Nance is a three, um, which I don't love. And also I have no idea how he plays small forward on this team, looking at the rest of the roster, but, but um, well, are they thinking that Nance would guard threes, but kind of with be the four and Covington would be the three, but right. Yeah. I think that's the idea. That's so the, the, he, when he shares the floor with, you know, a traditional center and Covington that he could guard threes. Um, I don't love the idea, but I think that's there's something to it. Uh, the Blazers don't have a lot of point of attack defenders, so Larry Nance getting an option to give it a shot is as good as probably anyone else on the roster. Yeah, he actually played in some lineups like that in Cleveland yeah. as the three because uh, particularly two years ago, they just didn't have anyone else, and it was shockingly effective at times, and he's 
I think he's a better man-to-man defender than Covington. So the Nurkic, Covington, Nance Drew, I would be interested to see how they could defend with that group. Yeah, and and shove shove uh, Norm to two and have CJ spend a little time on the bench with Dame. Like I think that's that is close to your best defensive lineup without sacrificing too 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 much offense. Although you do lo- lose some of that creation because. Um, Norm is just not a passer at all. So uh yeah, I, I wouldn't mind maybe just putting Norm Paul on the bench and having CJ CJ and Dame in that the group guy yeah. there too. So you still get enough uh get enough D or offense, I should say. So yeah, that's interesting. You know, the backup center on the second unit, that's interesting. Um and obviously he'll play plenty as the the backup four right. as well. Yeah, he's gonna play a ton. Like most of his minutes are gonna come in backup four. Um it's just like how creatively can they be? And I think that lineup versatility that they've lacked in the past when you have um guys like Mello and Cantor as your first two off the bench who just they are what they are. You can't really juice it too much. Although Mello did play some small forward in the bubble uh with mixed results. So yeah, I, I think he, I think he fits pretty well. I, I like I like Zeller. Uh, like I said earlier, like I'm a I'm a Zeller. Like as a backup center, I think Zeller's pretty good. Um if he can stay healthy, that's a really nice addition at the minimum. I think that's a solid pickup. Uh how do you see the rest of the bench rotation shaking out? Who are who are the other you would say guaranteed rotation players? So I think there's eight guarantees. Uh, Dame, CJ, Norm, Covington, Yusuf Nurkic. First two off the bench, Nance and Zeller. Maybe not first two off the bench, but guaranteed off the bench. Uh, Simons. Amphrey Simons is going to play a shit ton. Uh, he's he's probably got 22 minutes a night in him. As um, You know, remember how he's promised to be the backup point guard like two years ago? Well, they're still making that promise. We're still, yeah. we're still here. So he's going to play a bunch of those minutes. And then I think nine for right now is Nazir Little. Um, and they're going to go, and that's going to be their nine-man rotation. And I think Nas will compete eventually. Like 10 is is either Tony Snell or um, or Ben McLemore. And I think right now, because uh, Tony Snell has missed camp, it, it's McLemore as your 10th guy. But I, What's I wrong think, with Tony Snell again? Ankle? Foot, he's got a foot problem. Foot yeah. sprain is what they're calling it. Uh, and he just hasn't, He's he like lifts weights. He doesn't do much on-court stuff apparently. Right. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do you think of that bench group? Uh, I like the first part. <laughs> I'm a I'm a believer in in Nance. I'm a like a, I'm a believer in Zeller. Um, Anthony Simons is a really good shooter. Um, if he develops any other skill that looks like an NBA skill, he's going to be a basketball player because he can really shoot. Um, and I, I like I don't know about Nazir Little. I'm a Carolina guy. Like all. <laughs> Like football disclosure, I'm a Tar Heel, so I I'm, I want I want to believe in Nazir a little, but I don't think he's an NBA player yet. From what I've seen, he's got some tools, but he's got to put it together with like some is his shooting better. You know, his shot looks better, and he shot like 35 percent on really limited um, really limited attempts last year. But um, it, it looks cleaner with his feet set. It's just he likes to he likes to take two dribbles and get into rhythm, and he and he does not look good off the dribble from three. So yeah, as a standstill shooter, I think he can be a league average shooter it's just everything else his decision making seems to be his processing speed like with an with nba defense flying at him is a little problematic right now yeah my hope for him always was that he could really make a difference in some of the effort categories a la what mo harkless used to be able to give these guys as a rebounder and as a defender um but is there maybe as a cutter do you see that that aspect of his game developing because i i always say like you got to be good at the stuff that you're supposed to be good at before 
before you're going to expand out necessarily as a prospect. Yeah, I think the Phil Beckner quote is uh, be good at stuff that happens all the time. So uh, if you <laughs> it's like, you know, if you're being good at shooting is really valuable. Stancil shoot is really valuable because it happens all the time. Floaters don't happen very often. Um, yeah, I think so. Part of me, part of my concern with Nas is that I don't think he knows where to, where to fit in. Like you watched that first preseason game. He was a mess. He had about as bad a game as you could have, um, small, you know, whatever, 18 preseason minutes doesn't really mean much, but like he, he needs to figure out where he fits. And I think if he figures out where he fits, he could be that cutter. He could be that energy guy. He could even have some minutes as a guarding perimeter players with his speed, his, his size, you know, lateral quickness and all that stuff. I just don't, I think he kind of sees himself as an offensive creator, as a guy who scores in isolation and off the dribble and on fadeaways and stuff. And it's just, he's got to, he needs to buy into being, he, he keeps saying it. I'm a three and D guy. That's where I'm going to help. And then he doesn't play like it. So uh, he needs to buy into the label, I think. So last year, you, I was a little higher on these guys than you and I did this podcast. And we both were like, you, you kind of awakened me to it. Holy shit, their bench defense is awful. And <laughs> that ended up uh, ultimately probably killing them. And they do have Larry Nance Jr. And they do have Cody Zeller this year. That's obviously better than Mello and Cantor. That's going to help. Uh, you know, they, they'll probably stagger Norm Powell a little bit uh, as well. Um, you know, maybe we'll see a little like Greg Brown sprinkled in or, or you know, little can't, can't be worse than, than uh, Mello was. That backcourt's still pretty rough, though. If it's Simons and, and Ben McLemore, that's that's pretty tough. And then my other concern that is starting to evolve as we talk about this here is Nance, Nurkic, Zeller. Those are three very injury-prone They have no depth up front. Yeah, no they depth. have nothing behind them. They have no depth up front. If they keep – so they've got four guys in camp who are uh, competing. They're only going to carry 14 um, for – they're going to use the term flexibility. I'm going to use the term money. Um, yeah, for- yeah, this – let me go on a little rant here. This idea, the Lakers doing this too, like, oh, we're going to leave the 14th roster spot open for flexibility. No, actually, what you like, you could just waive someone at the trade deadline to create an open spot if you need to. It's you could even sign a non guarantee and keep them until January and then waive them. Like, you, you know, like yeah. you could just pay them for a few months um, if you really valued flexibility. Yeah. There is absolutely no reason to carry 14 players other than to save money. That's the it. There's literally no basketball reason for that. And it also, if you only carry 14 players, you're limited in the amount that you can play your two-way guys as well. Whereas if you have 15, then you can bring your two-way guys in and play them a lot more also. So anyway, the players aren't the only team that's doing this. We have, and But yeah, they are. So they, are they, let me let me look at this actually. Are they in the tax? Are they're, they like, ta- they're like 3 million into the tax. You might have it. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I do now that. I look, I, I've this time of year, my numbers can be a little bit wrong because I don't bother updating for you know the 20th guy and a non guaranteed exhibit 10 who's gonna like, right. it's not worth my time to do that, but yeah, I mean, and, and they it seems like particularly with the disbursement this year, it would behoove them to figure out a way to get out of it. Um, right, and getting out of it is dicey because it's it's like Nurk or Amphrey Simons, and um, that's that's dicey, yeah, it, it, it would be tough, yeah, Simons, it's and Simons is such a such a sacred cow with these guys. He's a it, he's a beloved like, he's a beloved savior of the franchise. Yet to arrive as that, but he is the beloved savior of this franchise. So yeah, they're gonna they're gonna carry they're gonna they got four guys in camp competing for fourteen. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr., Quinn Cook, Pat Patterson, uh, and Marquise Chris. 
And if they don't keep Patterson or Chris, it's a mistake straight up. Like they need more ball handling. I think there's, they could use another guard, but they desperately, as you mentioned, they desperately need frontline help. Like I'm, I am, there's going to be a week where they're just playing Nazir Little at center or something, or, you know, like 22 minutes of Robert Covington at center because somebody twists an ankle here and there. Yeah. And Patterson and Chris, Chris, he struggles defensively. Patterson is pretty done. He knows where to be, but that's, you're asking a lot there. So yeah, Yeah, he could steal eight minutes, but not 20. Like you could, you could steal a, a, I have one third quarter shift with two Pat, but if he plays every night, you're not good. Um, anything else that's been like sticking out to you uh, about these guys uh, that, uh, you've observed here in the preseason or, you know, big strengths or weaknesses about these guys, but you know, things that are are just been on your mind lately as we go into the season. You know, um, last year, I think one of their big weaknesses was just, just playmaking, like who, who could pass, how many dudes on the team could pass, particularly when you had a lineup that was like Simons, Gary Trent Jr., Mello, and uh, Ennis Cantor. I, I do think they've addressed that a little bit because I think Nance as a playmaker helps. I think Zeller is a better playmaker. Not like a run stuff through him, but like short roll decision maker. I think he's a better playmaker. And I think Simons looked at least competent as a as a decision maker in the first preseason game. Um, you know, we'll see how long, we'll see what that looks like when teams really start to get after him on defense. I don't think the Warriors like really put a, a lot of pressure on the ball, but um, yeah, I think, I think they've addressed that weakness a little bit um, in a way that um, I, I think will have material like benefit uh, because that they were really bad as a as just playmaking team last year. Yeah. And I think there is something to be said for running more stuff through the elbows. Nurkic was a capable passer when he first arrived and they kind of got away from that a little bit more, but yeah, Nance solid at that. Chris actually can do that if, if he ends up playing as well. You mentioned Zeller. So yeah, it can get a little bit more diversity to that, that bench attack. The eternal question, will they do the Damon CJ stagger again this year? So, <laughs> Uh, Chauncey said he didn't want to stagger them as much that he'd rather keep them together. And then the first sub pattern in the preseason, he staggered them. So, um, we will see. Cause I was like, really, he's going to like, wow, I'm so surprised that we're going to see a ton of like Norman Simon minutes. That's going to be really something. And then immediately the six minute mark of the first preseason game, CJ trots out and they bring in, uh, they bring in a guard, they bring in uh, zero little, but, um, so yeah, I think they're going to, I think they're going to keep the same stagger it seems like they're going to keep the same stagger at least very early on would it be possible that they just end up not playing simons that much no because they no (laughs) no i mean no because um sacred cow stuff and uh i i just think they they feel like they need another they feel like they need another guy who can be on the ball um but he's he's gonna play 20 some minutes tonight man he's gonna he's gonna play more than he did last year because to me again they're they're getting they got powell and it's like we're just gonna use him as a three now right like to me he okay you start him at the three just because he's making the money that he's making i mean if it were me i might even consider powell just straight up coming off the bench and just starting covington and, and nance personally particularly because most teams like really start big i would play around with that uh yeah. and if norm isn't happy well you just that's what's the that's what the money's for yeah. um and then to basically try to stagger dame and cj you have norm out there for every minute that you don't have both lillard and cj out there and just you know someone like snell or macklemore those guys might have to play a little bit more but you know at least snell is gonna not kill you defensively i would at least want to take a look at that uh and you know simon's yes they're trying to develop him and they maybe they think he can have some trade value or something like that uh you know i think he certainly deserves chances like he's got some talent but 
I would be prepared to consider that. And I think, because I think you're not getting enough out of North. You're by playing Simons more, you're getting less out of Norman Powell. That's kind of how I see it. Absolutely. Being in the end. And Powell is way better to me than Simons is. He's, he's just better. You don't have to, you, I, I can give it, I'll give it to you too. He's just a better basketball player. I think it's yeah. like um, straight up. Yeah. And they've, they've kind of promised more to a lot of people. I think that's one of the interesting things like, Oh, Nurk, we're going to Nurk more touches. We're going to get more post-ups and more touches at the elbow. Norm, we're going to use Norm more. We're going to utilize him more. Oh, Ant is going to have a big role. We're going to get him more. It's like, you can't, where does that all come from? And then <laughs> well, CJ, hopefully it ask, doesn't mean Nance gets limited the way he was in the first preseason game. That was the other thing I was, he didn't I mean, enough, you mentioned yeah. that he, they said he's going to play center. Like, I think he should be playing a lot of minutes with the stars and, you know, if he's if he ends up playing 18 minutes a game that to me is a huge waste too again because you're just ending up being smaller really for no reason than you have to and that's one of the big reasons they can't stop anyone is they're just too small right yeah and they've they've struggled in the defensive glass because the same same idea so yeah i'm i'm with it um we'll see how the plan goes you know i had a really good sense of how stubborn terry stotts would be i have no sense of how stubborn chauncey Phillips will be (laughs) um like i could just tell you i you know this time last five years i could have told you exactly how it's going to go down i don't have a great sense of Phillips's um, sort of like, here's my plan on day one, here's my plan on day seven type of thing, like how quickly he'll say, hey, this doesn't work. And I think that's a fascinating part of this season is, um, you know, he's he's Neil's guy. He's certainly going to listen to the plan of the front office for sure. But uh, you know, is he, does he have, does he have real chops in terms of in-game and in-season adjustments to kind of push the right buttons? That's, that'll be a fascinating one for me. Yeah. One of the storylines when he was hired was he went to this boot camp during the, the, the hiatus with Ty Lu, And so if he's learned a lot from Ty Lu, and obviously was on the bench with him in previous years, and that's an influence. Ty Lu, he's not afraid to change shit up. Yeah. Uh, might, maybe the best out of the league. He's really good. Yeah. He is definitely a, a, a mad scientist. I did think Ty Lue's a little overrated in terms of his adjustments last year because he kind of he made the adjustments in game three that I wanted him to make at the start in game of the one, yeah. But but you know, he he did get there and he definitely is willing to to try stuff and see what's gonna work during the, the regular season. Um let's see, what else do we need to talk about with, with these guys? Um yeah, anything else that's kind of been been uh, been on your mind here in camp? Those are the, those are the main things. Uh, you know, we just they have like we're just recording this at a weird time. They play three games this week, so I'm really fascinated yeah. to see what the three games look like. So we we haven't seen a bunch of it. Um, the the other thing, the sort of small thing is. Uh, Dame and CJ were asked whether they want to play less minutes. And Dame said, Dame kind of said like, well, I don't want to play 38. Um, and CJ said, I don't want to play less, <laughs> which I loved. I love that. It's a real honesty. Um, and it's hard to make all these promises and figure out like, this is a crunch. Like if you're 36 minutes, you kind of got to, I'm in favor of playing your best players. Some <laughs> like get them on the court, but uh, <laughs> it's uh It'll be interesting sort of that what sacrifice looks like at the top, because some of the like idea of this all fitting is that Damon CJ tweaked their games a little bit. Um, and some of maybe their problems in the past is they weren't willing to do that. Let's talk about CJ. Actually, there's two things. We'll talk about the big elephant at the at the end before we get into predictions. But for CJ, thir- first 13 games, unbelievable. Played the best basketball of his career. I would say was concentrating more on the three pointer. It looked really good. Breaks his foot. He came back. I thought he looked a little heavy at that point. Would you agree with me? Well, he didn't that? play. He told. He said he didn't. He said he didn't play any basketball. Like he just. He yeah. didn't. He just straight up from the time he broke his foot to the time he returned. He he did not play at all. So yeah. yeah well, I'm, I'm, you can't with a broken foot, but you also can. You can still do the math on the calories in and calories out <laughs> while you're injured. Like, hey, that, man, there's a lot that's of good food here. You, you've been to Portland. You know how it is. There's a lot. There's a lot of good food. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, he's, he's you know, he uh, wasn't he wasn't the same. And also his just shot uh, the other diet, his shot diet. Like he he took 11 threes a game prior to the foot injury. He took eight when he came back. Like that's yeah, that, that's a big that's a big enough swing to be impactful. Yeah, eight's still pretty good. And I think is maybe a little more than he'd been before. But yeah, the 11 was that was crazy. And then really, again, you mentioned the how limited the backcourt was in Denver and for him to have a poor series, you know, being getting outplayed by Monte Morris in some of these games, you know, that was a, a major disappointment for me uh, as well. So uh, what are your thoughts uh, on his upcoming season here? I, I know we've only had the one game, so feel free to sprinkle in how you th- think he looks physically uh, and stuff like that. But what are your expectations for him this year? I think, you know, I don't think he was having, he's like 27, five and six before the injury. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's going to do that. That's, that's probably too much. Um, but I think that the, you know, still ramping up towards 10 threes a game, you know, if he's going to shoot a bunch, let's just, you know, we don't need any 22 footers. Um, nobody needs them. Uh, maybe Andrew Wiggins and, uh, <laughs> like it's, you know, change that shot diet. I thought the first four possessions of preseason, he looked horrific and then he really settled in and he's, he got to the rim, which is something he didn't, he has not always done well. He looks a little, he looks a little stronger, honestly. Um, everybody looks good this time of year. I feel like it's, um, it's, a t- it's time to show up in shape, uh, show off for the new coaching staff, et cetera. But yeah, I don't, I kind of think CJ is the places that he gets, you know, he's kind of a finished product and the places he's gotten better have been just like, I'm going to pass two more times a game. And that has really yeah. kind of helped uh, the playmaking steps that he's made in the last two seasons have been significant. Um, although albeit subtle, it's just, he's getting rid of the ball, two dribbles earlier and stuff like that. So I, I kind of think somewhere a, a half step below what he was a pre-injury. Like, I don't think he's, I don't think he's a 27 point per game guy. I don't think he's, you know, Brad Beal light, um, but he's, I'm I'm not worried about him. I have no no worries about CJ at all. Yeah, if I think he's at the point where it's kind of similar to Dame, where maybe being a little bit stronger, you know, one of those guys is going to be guarded by someone who's smaller than them. Right. And sometimes that might be CJ, at least on most nights. So he, he can just use his size even more. I I would be interested to see how this emphasis on more off ball stuff would work for him. I mean, he's not he doesn't have the physicality to just be like flying off of screens or be devastating as a cutter necessarily he doesn't have like that top end acceleration to get open off the ball necessarily i'm interested to see how it works out for him and whether that playoff performance was due to the injury in the middle of the season or whether it's he's gonna devolve into being more of a, a volume guy i mean he did get the 40 percent from three last year and and any player who shoots 40 percent from three and can hit off the dribble the way he does it is always going to be valuable but you know if the question of whether he's gonna okay general decline now and his age 30 season and you know we'll always look back on that 16 17 season as his best year or whether he can continue to make a little bit more of a step to you know at least being an all-star contention this year is a big question and then the other question too is the possibility of a move at the trade deadline if things go poorly with Dan Laird. We're going to get to our predictions in a second. You know, I know you've been talking about your podcast on Dame being all in again, and that's been his quotes have been to that effect. So do you think it's possible that if they are in kind of the play in mix again, they're not, I don't think you would do it if they're like, you know, in competition for home court advantage, but if they're kind of in the play in mix or on 500, could you see a possible trade request or on the trade deadline? I don't think Dame is the type of dude to do it in season. Um, yeah. I just don't think that's his, he's, you know, he'll, he's just going to ride this thing out. Um, if he's here, he's here. Like, I think if they're bad, he will, it'll 
all of the same issues that came up last July will be back, um, only louder and he'll be a year older and all of those things. Like, I think it comes up, I think if they're not good, we just revisit the exact same summer, only more drastic where he's just like, look, we're not there. And I'm, I've given 10 years of my life to this. And I, all I want to do is win. And I don't know if I can do it here. Um, whatever, whatever. And, um, some of this summer was maybe he, he realized that the Blazers were screwing it up so bad that he could sneak out of town and, and still, uh, look loyal, but, you know, done in wrong by a team that couldn't handle any press conferences. So help them God. Um, I don't, I don't think, um, I would be very surprised, uh, just from being around Dame a bunch, if he was a mid mid season trade, uh, demand type of guy, but you know, there was a time not too long ago when middle of the season, he requested a meeting with Paul Allen and said, let's, you know, tell me, are, are we going to try to win or not? Um, so it's not like he won't consider it. Uh, I just sort of character and brand wise, it doesn't seem to mesh with what I know about him. Yeah. And maybe if it's just, it looks really hopeless. Let's say the, those front court injuries mean that their defense is just one of the worst in the NBA again, and they maybe take a little bit of a step forward or, or step back on offense because, you know, Cantor and Mello did help their offense. Oh, yeah. They're good offensive it, players for sure. Uh, so, although Mello still was a, a little aggressive on, on some inefficient shots. All right, let's get into predictions here. Should I go first or you want to go first? Well, last year we did this, and you had a higher win total for their ceiling than I did, which was just stunning. So, I want to hear it from you again this year maybe you are yet again higher on the pinwheels than me the pinwheels yeah solid reference there yeah so i had 44 wins in the 72 game season and you had 43 last year and they obviously did not uh, what did they end up oh they're 40 they had 40 and 32 right that's yeah. what they were last year yeah and ended up uh with that sixth seed tied with a, a bunch of other teams could he very easily have been in the play and it was looking like it was going to be that way for much of the year until the lakers faltered and dallas uh dallas did better as the season went on as well but Oh, if you told me that everyone was going to be healthy, I think this group could be in the mix for 50 wins. Uh, and I think that, you know, their bench defense would be good enough if they're going to play the right guys. If, you know, you could get 60 games out of Zeller and Nance and Nurkic or 65 games out of all those guys, I'd feel pretty good about these guys. The idea that those guys are injury prone and you're going to go with, I guess, air what kind of neil o'shea team is this that doesn't have a another center that they could bring in uh is caleb swanigan available maybe or or uh hey myers leonard still inside yeah. um but <laughs> so that makes me bump them down a little bit i do think they're gonna beat their over under which i think is 40 43 and a half i'm gonna go 45 wins for this guy for this group all right i have them at and i penciling it out um i i haven't done the whole league so i've only done them so maybe i'll do the if i do the whole league then i'll realize that i've, I've given the blazers an extra win but i have them at 47 um that's assuming some good health obviously um i think this is a top five offense uh i think you roll the ball out it's something like a top eight offense and i think um um, I'm expecting a you know slight step forward from Simons and, and and Norman Powell to be just more valuable, more useful, and and maybe utilized better this year. I, I think they're going to be a top five offense, and I think a top five offense mixed with a team that is merely bottom ten in defense as opposed to bottom two. Um, I'm I would pu- I'm going to push them up at, at 47 wins. I am really worried about their front court depth. A, not even a real injury, a, a week and a half injury is going to be a tough for their front court. So. I'm probably I probably think they're like they're 
their whatever floor for wins is like they're a slightly below 500 team. Like I think they're like a 40 win team with some with some bad injury luck. Um, and I don't think their ceiling is much higher than 47. I, I would probably put them at 51, maybe at the absolute max. So yeah, I, I've kind of landed at 47 as sort of the as the middle because I'm just a big believer in how good this team is going to be on offense like every single night. No, I I agree with you there. I would give them a little higher. I think they could even get into the mid 50s, like 55 if they if they're fully healthy because I, I think their defense could be mid-pack yeah. potentially if those that reserve front court stays healthy maybe they minimize simon's role a, a little bit because yeah, to me it's not only that it's damon cj are bad defensively that it's also simon's as well and so if you could just have norm playing a lot of those minutes then they could just they could be a lot stingier defensively to only really have one liability out there at a time instead of two for a lot of the minutes that would, would be really nice and yeah it's just that i i really worry as you said about the front court depth and i worry about simon's just not being that good as well and i think there are a lot of teams that have pretty good depth this year and obviously don't have the top end talent of the blazers but yeah that it is a concern to me that you nasir little is another guy they're really counting on he hasn't proven it yet so when you look at simon's little probably though i think those guys are going to be in the rotation yeah. every night they're going to play some degree certainly on night one for sure yeah g- given uh, the potential for injuries and then backup big who we don't even know who the hell it's going to be and it might be nasir little as you were saying that's a concern to me and in the dame cj era i think it really has been all about those supporting players when it's Cantor and Mello and when CJ and Nurk are, are out of missing time uh, or, you know, when it's a son white side, that's when they kind of are down in the like, you know, 500 ish range with this group. When you have, you know, as much as Aminu and Harkless have been vilified over the years, those guys stayed healthy and they gave them quality play. Oh yeah. A level they, of competence that they've missed quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Co- Covington's another guy who might get injured actually, although he, he stayed relatively healthy uh, the last couple of years in minnesota though he's had like some chronic knee issues so yeah that i mean it really comes down to the health you know what you're getting with dame you know what you're getting with cj and you know what you're getting with nurk when healthy you know you're getting with covington when healthy you know you're getting with from powell who's who usually does stay healthy do you uh, think so, this team's better than dallas probably not what about um, like the other they the injured- could be though they could be yeah like so there's a whole group in there that i think they're pretty like dallas yeah. whatever golden state is denver and the clippers like i think the blazers are kind of in that group where do you where would you rank them in that group <sighs> I mean, they could be at the top of it in the regular season that's how i, I feel did, too. i think i, I think def- defensively though they're just too limited to be great in playoff series if you get matched up against another team where they're just trying to outscore them that season right i think like golden state to me is a terrible matchup for them they always have brutal yeah um yeah you know that's one where uh, dallas yeah yeah you know they don't have anyone to guard luca but that's the yeah but but dallas has no one to guard them right if they're if you're if they're going against a team that's going to play conventional pick and roll defense then you know i I think they can score pretty well i think utah to me with gobert just gives you a a little bit more of like a patina of defense in the playoffs and i think those offenses are pretty comparable phoenix to me is just way more versatile yeah they're better uh, i think phoenix is better um healthy lakers are obviously better yeah, so I think I would probably have them a little bit more towards the bottom of that group of that that Denver Golden State who, who looks really good in the preseason. Um, Dallas, 
that group. So yeah, I think I have the, those teams kind of more in the 49 to 47 range. And I got Portland at 45. But again, if they're all healthy, I think these guys, like the math could work out for them to be better than any of those teams. Yeah, that, I, I kind of yeah. like, I don't think Phoenix, the Lakers and Utah, the, the Blazers aren't going to be as good as them in the regular season. I think every other team in the West, they have a chance to be as good or better. They also have a chance to be worse. Like it's yeah. totally with it's within the realm that they're worse. But I, I think they're, I'm really curious sort of them and Dallas, two teams that um, didn't, that made some tweaks around the edges kind of, and were very similar last year. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious where those two teams finish. Yeah. And we've all also seen to uh, on paper you know i've been a big believer in covington i've been a big believer in nance and again like the numbers with that starting group were pretty good but it just it seems like this is where good defensive players go to die <laughs> and they just for whatever reason they can never defend but they also have a different coach as right. well so I, I think given the new players that they have a full season of powell who's more athletic i mean playing powell starting powell at the three though man i mean that's just like again i kind of look back at how do you expect to defend with dame cj and norman powell as your one through three they're just so small that that makes it difficult haven't you heard about norman powell's long arms I have. I, I've been watching him since uh, since 2014. I saw that, but uh, yeah, he's he, he's not a quality defender. Yeah, and it's, it's also it's like they just don't have much plus length. You know, people talk so well. He's got long arms. He's actually it's like they just don't have any much plus length, and it's hard to have Damon CJ and then not a lot of yeah. rangy guys behind him. I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm a believer that they can be like 22nd in defense, and I'm I'm thinking 22nd and fifth is about 47 wins. That's my guess. Yeah, that that seems about right to me, honestly. And again, I, I think I'm more of a believer. In in this team ceiling when fully healthy but i may also just be pricing in bad health even more than you which obviously you're very concerned about it as well so yeah i think it'll be interesting if i if i had to pick whether they're going to be more or less than 45 i think i would say more though yeah uh, again yeah yeah i would lean i would lean me over as well um but uh the, it's I, I think it's a reasonable line um, all right. Well, where can we keep up with your Blazers coverage here throughout the season? Uh, I host a daily Portland Trail Blazers podcast. Um, wherever you get podcasts, Locked On Blazers. Uh, we're also on YouTube now. A uh, big push to let's. Uh, if you're listening to this, I don't care if you listen. I don't care if you watch me on YouTube, but I do care if you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the YouTube <laughs> channel. Let's. I want to get a thousand subscribers by Halloween. I just launched. I'm two weeks into the experiment, so follow. Search Locked On Blazers on YouTube and subscribe. Also, wherever you get podcasts free every single day, um, it's it's the only Daily Trailblazers podcast. So if you want to stay abreast of the team, Lockdown Blazers is your spot. All right. You, you heard it here. And surely I will be making an appearance or two, I guess. Oh, yeah. We got to get a home. We, it's a home and home deal on these things. I'll get you on there, Nate. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Ben. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more in our season outlook series. Only got six left. We'll talk to you all then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.